It's the subject of heaven to come. The present heaven and the future heaven. Because there's two, if I can put it that way. Not to confuse you, but just bear with me. In a cemetery, just check the time. I'm long-winded, so I'm just turning up. I'm trying not to be, but I am. In a cemetery in Indiana State, USA, there's a headstone over 100 years old with the following epitaph. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Some unknown visitor to the cemetery later scratched these rather wise words underneath. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Is it really possible to know where we will go when we die? To know where we will spend eternity? Jesus' close friend John, writing to believers, wrote this in 1 John 5 and 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know there in the Greek is a strong, powerful word which is about having a certainty around a particular subject. In this case, eternal life. You and I can know for sure that we have eternal life. We can know for sure that we will go to heaven when we die. We can know for sure that we will spend life with God forever on a new earth in resurrected bodies. We can know. Do you? Do you know that? Does that comfort your daily life? your struggles, your failures, your disappointments. Do you know what lies beyond earth's horizon is for you? This morning, my main purpose is to encourage you, and I want to make this very clear, to give serious thought about eternity and where you will be in it. God's word makes clear that we can know where we're going, and that it is our responsibility outside of his grace, to prepare for the journey beyond death. God always works in partnership. He invites us to work alongside him. We've got a businessman here, George. He knows his like to operate a business. And a good business operates with people pulling their weight, but it's done in partnership. God always operates with us through partnership. There was um, a... Um, a gentleman called Ivor Powell, and he wrote these words and really struck me when I first read this particular book here. He says this, At the age of 83, I asked myself what I knew about the home of God, and I was truly shocked to admit that I knew very little. Increasing age and the fact that I shall soon be making my own pilgrimage have begotten within my soul an intense desire to explore this fascinating subject. Now that same desire was born in me, I think it was back in 2011, 12, just checking when I got the book. I was at the New Horizon, and a, a friend was in the bookstore, and he came back that night, we are all staying in the same apartment. He, he told me about this book he'd picked up, 
And I was so taken with it, I thought, I'm going to get that. Because really, I don't know that much about heaven. And I, I picked this book up by the Dr. Randy Olcorn. It's one of uh, a number of books, but there's not that many good books. But I highly recommend, I'm going to recommend that to you completely, along with others. There's, there's, I have a range of books now in heaven. But that book had a transforming impact on me as a man of God in his 60s, serving the Lord, raising a family, etc., etc. It, it, it enthused me. It inspired me. It fired me up to live the rest of my Christian life knowing where I was going, but wanting to get there in style. Now, I used to be an athlete of one degree or another. When I ran, I ran. And I had only one object. I was to beat the boys in front of me or behind me or wherever and get across that line. And when I read this book, I suddenly had a renewed sense of purpose and who I was and why I was here, but also where I was going. And it will do that for you if you begin to focus on God's kingdom. Imagine that you're heading to France this summer in your car for the first time to tour its southern regions. You wouldn't just jump into your car and set out in the road hoping to get there. You would do a bit of planning, even with sat-nav, a good map maybe. You would check your passport, your health card, etc. If you want to get somewhere, guesswork is a poor strategy. Randy Alcorn says in his book, The goal of getting to heaven is worthy of greater advanced planning than we would give to any other journey. Yet some people spend far more time preparing for a trip to Disney World. So where do we start? What do we need to know about this journey? The first thing we need to know is that we're traveling on the right road in the right direction. Now you have to answer that question yourself. I have to answer it for myself. And the Apostle Paul helps us here with the scriptures that were that were read to us from Romans 8. Paul here, in one of the great letters of the New Testament, teaches us in Romans 8 verses 1 to 17. He is speaking to the Christian, but he, he's speaking in a way that he's challenging them to think about the reality of who they say they are. And he teaches that there are two opposing natures within a human being. There's a sinful nature, that's the message of verses 5 to 8. I'll read them in a minute. There's a spiritual nature. That's verses 9 to 11. This being the reality within every human being, this will determine the way we live our daily lives and it will determine our destination at the end of life. So the question I'm asking you to think about this morning to be sure about this morning is, are you living your life on the basis of a sinful nature, the one you were born with? Or are you living your life with a spiritual nature, the one you were given when you were born again through the Spirit of God, believing in Christ? Here's what it says in verses 5 to 8. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, now speaking to you and me this morning for Christians, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and me, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Let's deal with the first one, the sinful nature. The sinful nature, and I know it only too well, and, I, and you do as well, I, I, I lived that way for 30 years. Chooses the way of self. It's the big I. And it is no room for God in an intimate relational way. He's excluded in this life. This is our free will, choosing to reject his invitation to come to him in repentance and to receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. So when we come to our journey's end and stand before him as our creator and judge to give an account of our lives' work, we will be shown that we are spiritually bankrupt. That is, that we are without Christ in our lives. The tragic outcome is that having chosen to live without God in this life, we will live in eternity without him. And I want to read you these words. These words have always disturbed me. They still disturb me. But this is the word of God. It's not my word. It says that beyond that passage that was read to us in Revelation 21. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's everyone who has the spirit of Christ in them in this life. But then listen to this. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That is the end. That is the destination. If we are walking on the wrong road, the broad road as Jesus described it, we're not heading towards heaven. And we've made that choice ourselves. But if in this life we choose God's way, and this is verses 9 to 11, you, whoever, he says, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body's dead because of sin, yet your spirit's alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, and what did Christ get when he rose from the dead? A physical body. He sat down, he had a meal with his friends. Now there were differences about his body. He walked through a wall or a door, so, but he had a physical body. Thomas was able to look at him and to touch him. And it says, you also will receive that life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. 
those of us who live life having chosen Christ as Lord and Saviour, having come to know him personally and have him rule over our lives in the daily reality of life, then our journey is a journey of faith. It's a journey that focuses on God daily. It listens out for God's voice. It seeks to be transformed and shaped by the word of God. God is Lord of our lives. The Holy Spirit is in us to lead us, to teach us, to point us always to Jesus. It's a life, and I can say this very clearly from my own experience. It's a life where we find our true identity. We come to know who we really are before a holy God and an awesome God and a loving God and a merciful God. We come to know who we are. We come to find that we have a deep and solid security. It's no longer based on my personality. It's no longer based on my bank account. It's no longer based on the place I happen to be in society, high or low. No. It's no longer based on my religious works or whether I was christened or baptized or whatever before I met Jesus. And also, it provides us with a clear sense of purpose. I know where I'm going. I know how to live this life to be ready for arriving there in the best possible way. If we know we're bringing, if we know that we're adopted children of God, fear is replaced by a living faith that lives trusting in God's promises. And we can understand that the purpose of our lives is to glorify God the Father through obedience to his son Jesus Christ. And that's what he goes on to say in verses 12 to 17. And he says this in verse, uh, let me see, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we begin to live. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, and here's, here's where sort of springboard into where I want to go this morning. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share also in his glory. There's a lot of People in this world are heirs to some of the greatest things you could achieve. I mean, Prince Charles pretty soon is going to be heir to the throne, isn't he? And all the benefits and blessings and heartaches and headaches that that's going to bring him. But there's some people who are way up there and they're going, they're going to get the best things the world can give. The rest of us are maybe just not that fortunate. Uh, Dad or mum maybe didn't have too much money in the bank account and therefore there's not too much coming our way really. But we are those who understand airship. Have you ever really sat down in the midst of life's sorrows and difficulties and thought about your airship? The kingdom of God that you're now a part of and it's going to be fulfilled beyond this life. But where's it going to be? Well, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? 
Blessed are the meek in spirit, for they shall inherit what? Earth. Didn't say heaven. Now, that, this is some, one of the things I want you to get. Maybe you understand all this already. Maybe I was late in life coming to a knowledge of this. I don't know. But I want you to understand that what God's purposes were from the Garden of Eden to the end of time is that this earth is where it's all going to be lived out in eternity. There's an in-between place that's called the present heaven, but I want you to grasp that. Because, as I've just said to you, there are two natures. There are two roads to travel. There are two lifestyles to choose. There are two final destinations. Where are you going this morning? Who are you traveling with? Because if you're traveling with Jesus, then what awaits you is mind-blowing. Now, we've already entered into it. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven has, has begun that moment he came to this world and began his ministry. But I'm asking you this morning to seriously think about this amazing eternity that waits us. Okay, so who's it for? I'm just reiterating. I was a primary school teacher for many years, so I've always believed in repetition, repetition. So what I'm saying to you is, who's it for? It's for God's children. It's for the adopted children of God. Brothers and sisters of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who believed in him as Lord and Savior, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who have new desires over against the old fleshy desires. Look, if you're like me, I battle every day with the old desire and the new desire, the old nature and the new nature. I have unbelievable struggles some days. That's the way it is. But the Spirit is in us to help us overcome. It's for such people. When do we enter into it? Right. Last week, my father-in-law died at the age of 93. He had a great life. He was a man of God from an early age. Of course, we are struggling with his loss. But we know where he is. He's in the present heaven. Paul tells us that the minute we die, we go immediately to be with the Lord. Wherever the Lord is, that's heaven. And at this present time, the Lord is in the present heaven. The intermediary stopover place before we get to the new earth, the resurrected new earth and our resurrected bodies. And I'm going to keep emphasizing that because I've never really taken that on board in a way that has made me think and think and think. Jesus said to the criminal on the cross beside him who believed in him, And the, 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 uh, the prisoner on the cross said this to him, first of all, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. That man was about to die on that cross. And he was about to follow Jesus into God's paradise. Certain. Because he promised it. He cannot lie. That's the promise of God. The minute I pass from this earth, the minute my body gives up the last gasp, I am immediately with Christ in heaven. These are truths that we sang last week at Billy's funeral. It was just a wonderful time of praise. 
because this was something we knew. And therefore we thought, yes, we will meet again with our father-in-law. I will meet again with my mother and my granny. I was privileged to have that sort of background. And I will meet with some dear friends that have gone before me who have died from a heart attack, a car accident, or cancer, or whatever, because they walked with Jesus. And he brought them home. We sang it all in our lovely hymns. All of it was there in those hymns today about what this is all about. This paradise is what the Bible calls the present heaven. And it's where God dwells. And it's the place Christians go when they die. It's the stopping off paradise until the coming of the Lord Jesus at his second coming when the final resurrection will take place. Another person quoted in this book is a person called René Paché. Now I'm not sure if I say it right. My pronunciation is usually very poor. But this really challenged me. The future heaven, now, that's the new earth, okay? I'm trying to, I, I never fully understood this for years, so I'm making sure that you understand me. The future heaven is centered up more on activity and expansion. I want you to grasp that. That's exciting. You're not going to be sitting around doing night. You're going to be working. You're going to be doing the best things you've ever done. I love the repair shop. How many people watch the repair shop? I love the repair shop. They bring in all those old things and they revamp them and retransform them. That's what we're going to be. There's going to be a good repair job at the end of time. And then we're going to, we're going to be involved in an activity and an expansion and a creativity that totally mirrors God's character. And that's what this person is saying. The future heaven is centered more in activity and expansion. I love Star Wars. And Star Trek and all those. I love them. You know, Lord of the Rings, the Monday, all that stuff. Wow. Will we explore the planets? Who knows? It's a possibility. I'm, I'm just letting your imaginations go on here. The emphasis in the present heaven, where my father-in-law went to last week, is on the absence of Earth's negatives. I want you to hear that. It's on the absence of Earth's negatives. What are the negatives? You may want to do a wee exercise this week if I've got through to you today, all right? On Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. Because we're, what we're talking about in Revelation 21 is not just New Testament teaching. It's biblical teaching the whole way through. You go to that and you will read about the new heaven and the new earth. But when you read those verses, the negatives, the things that screw up our lives and mess it up, are these. In the new heaven, there will be no more the shadow of death. There will no more, no more the shadow of sorrow. There will be no more the shadow of fear. There will be no more the shadow of injustice. There will be no more the shadow of curse and frustration. Now my pastor last week was talking about this. And that's the, the headings he came up with. Instead of the shadow of death, there will be fullness of life forever. Instead of the shadow of sorrow, there will be joy and joy and joy. Instead of the shadow of fear, there will be security and certainty. Instead of the shadow of injustice, there will be perfect peace in community and in relationships and in society. And instead of the shadow of the curse and frustration, 
there will be harmony between every creature and every human being and their God. Very hard to take in, isn't it? Because we don't live in that sort of world at the minute. And it says this, In the future heaven, it is the presence of earth's positives magnified many times through the power and glory of resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth, free at last from sin and shame and all that would hinder both joy and achievement. I'm sure if you're like me, you have a lot of questions about this present heaven and about this future heaven. But have those questions ever taken a real hold of you and caused you to do a bit of research, a bit of study, either on your own or with a house group or in the whatever, right? Time does not allow me to consider what this paradise place is like or what sort of form we have and how we would occupy our time there. What I can only do is urge you to really study your Bibles alongside God-honoring books on the subject. Begin to ask the Spirit of God to guide you. Begin to feed your soul and your mind with this truth of eternal destiny. I have talked with people about this. And I have discovered that largely many Christians really have no understanding of where they're going. They've got unbelievable wrong ideas. <laughs> and I don't know whether you have them or not. I have them to some degree. And I'm going to read you now something from uh, this book. Just listen to this. What we assume about heaven, okay? It's known earth. First thing. But it's not. What the Bible says about heaven is it's a new earth. We assume it's unfamiliar and otherworldly. But the wonderful thing is it's going to be so familiar and so earthly. We believe we're going to be disembodied. But no, we're going to have resurrected bodies. I won't be normally need anymore, hopefully. I don't know. But we're going to have new bodies. We think it's going to be a foreign place. It's not. It's going to be like home. With all the comforts of home. With all the innovations of an infinitely creative God. We think we're going to leave all the favorite things behind that we really love doing. I love gardening. I love walking in the mountains. I love sitting and having a meal with my wife when I'm out. And, and you know, I, so much things I, I love. No. It's going to retain everything that is good. It's going to be, allow us to enjoy the best that you could ever imagine about everything and anything that is good in God's sight. There's no time and space, some people think. No, there is going to be time and space. It's static. No, it's dynamic. It's neither like the Eden of old nor new and earthly. It's just strange and unknown. No, it's both the old and the new. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, they were cast out and the cherubim were put on the gateway. Eden still exists. We will be part of that new Eden. Expand it. It will be upon this earth. Nothing to do but float in the clouds and play wee harps. I often heard that song in a country song or some such song. Anyway, it's a God to worship and serve. A universe to rule. I want you to hear that. 
And I want you to hear that because it's affected me greatly. I'm not looking for reward as I might have done in a man in the flesh. I'm looking for reward that is based on how well I have served Jesus in this life. We are apprentices about to be taken into the employment of God upon the new earth in eternity. I want to be the best apprentice I can be. I want to be a head gardener somewhere. Have I get the chance? It's going to be purposeful work. It's going to be that which we are fully satisfied in doing. We will have friends to enjoy it with and family if they are in Christ. And I say that to you at this point because that's one of the things that has stirred me. I do not want any members of my family to end up in a lost eternity. I've been very casual with that. I have a brother, he's a millionaire, I don't know how many times it were. But he doesn't know Jesus. And he may have everything this world can give you. He's got nothing. He'll stand before God bankrupt. I want them to enter into this. No learning or discovery. Instant and complete knowledge is what some people think. No way. Eternity is a place of constant learning and discovering God. We will never get to the end of God. Never. It's, it blows my mind. I can't even take it in. Boring. Load of collops. It's fascinating. Loss of desire, far from it. We will have desires that are perfect and able to be fulfilled in every way. Absence of the terrible, but presence of little we desire is what some people think about heaven. It's not. It's the presence of the wonderful. Everything we desire and nothing we don't. That is what awaits us. And I want to just close with this quote. I've got more stuff here, but I don't need to go any further. Hopefully I have conveyed to you in my own little way, the, excuse me, the need, the need for the people of God to take a hold of their inheritance now. One writer says this, this is my scripture union notes from a, a wonderful man, I love uh, Reverend uh, Dennis Lennon. But he's talking about Hebrews here. And he ends, uh, well, this chapter with this quote. He said, Heaven alone gives ultimate meaning to our hopes in this world. But heaven includes the fulfillment of God's covenant commitment to the created order. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. A promise confirmed by the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Which was God's glorious yes to creation. Thus, knowing that God is working his purposes out here and now through the body of Christ on earth, we go about our lives engaging in hopeful tasks by faith, participating in the movement of God's work as he brings all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. Call it living the kingdom, walking the talk, our radical discipleship, 
are simply the imitation of Christ. People who believe that it is impossible for God to lie over his promises will make a difference wherever they are. And I just want to close with that thought for you. Is your Christian life making a difference where you are? Whether you're in China, whether you're here, whether you're like me up on the North Coast, do you think each day that your Christian life can make a difference? I'm going to tell you, of course it can. Absolutely. An unbelievable difference. We're called to be the people of God. And if we're going to make a difference, then we need to strive to be more like Jesus. And if we want to be more like Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. And listen and learn to imitate him. And it begins in your heart, in your home, and in this fellowship. Because these are the places where you strengthen one another in your faith. These are the places where you accept one another's idiosyncrasies. Some things are worse than that, but you know what I mean. But you learn to love one another so that you can live out there and love that boy that gets right up your nose in the workplace, in the office, or the neighbor over the hedge, even though they're just not easy to love. But it begins with that relationship with Jesus. The kingdom is now. But wow, what a kingdom. What a kingdom awaits us. And it will be upon this earth. And we've been made ready for it. Just going to pray. Our Father, I want to thank you that you have got unbelievable plans for all that you've created. You've never given up on your original plan. It's been worked out through Christ Jesus today, through the body of Christ on earth, and there ain't no devil nor no human being who is going to derail all that you are going to achieve. Please stir within us, Father, the wonder of all that you have planned for us. And in the midst of life's challenges, let us not lose sight of Christ and the kingdom that he is wanting to lead us into, either in the day when we die or the day that he comes to get us. Help us to understand these things through your Spirit. But help us, Lord, to feed our minds and our hearts with the truth about the subject, that we might be strengthened, that we might be excited, that we might be helped to achieve all that you want to achieve through us today and tomorrow and until you come. We just thank you for Jesus because he's the key. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And we honor him today for the life that he has given us. May each and every one who is gathered here this morning have Christ in their life. Help them if they don't to ensure that that becomes a reality. Lord, bless us now as we come to your table for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.